We're glad you're here checking out our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jason Hitchings, and I'm the Men's and Sports Director here at Rolling Hills. You're joining us in the seventh week of our series, Masterclass, where we're following Jesus through the entire Gospel of Mark, one chapter at a time. In chapter seven, we see how he has the power to heal those who come to him. Whether it's a physical condition or a spiritual ailment, Jesus gives us hope and heals our hurts. Let's hear how Jesus changes the lives of the hurting and broken. We're glad you're here. Nick is on a well-deserved family vacation. They are at the beach, and a while back, Pastor Nick was asking, would I be in town on June 5th? I was like, yep, I'll be in town. He's like, great, would you like to teach that day? I was like, cool, I'm available, I'd love to teach um, on June 5th. And he said, great, you've got Mark chapter 7. Cool, looking forward to it. And then I started noticing that Nick is covering the entire chapter. He's not skipping over any sections, skipping on any verses. And Mark chapter 7, right in the middle of it, it seems like Jesus refers to a desperate mother who's pleading for help for her daughter. Jesus seems to refer to her as a dog. Like, thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks for giving me the section where Jesus refers to a woman in this day and age as like a dog, and I got to cover that. But we are in master class. We're not skipping over anything. We are going to go right through that. So if you would please turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 7. At the beginning of chapter 7, we have the religious leaders, like the, the Pharisees, the scribes, are coming to confront Jesus. They're traveling like a long distance from Jerusalem, and they're trying to find some sort of thing to point against Jesus to show that he is a false teacher. And this starts up an argument that Jesus and the Pharisees would often argue over the oral traditions, this fence that had been built around the word of God to protect people from breaking it. Let's go ahead and jump right into it, the first 13 verses of chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come up from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And then like Mark, for his Gentile Roman audience, he explains the significance of that. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come home from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Like he just goes for the attack here. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules and have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to deserve your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, 
and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. The religious leaders seem to point out kind of an insignificant situation about the ritualistic cleansing of the hands. They're not like a parent making sure their child has actually washed their hands after playing outside, like, let me look at your fingernails, or touching the the towel in the bathroom to make sure it's damp. This is about ceremonial religious washings because the Pharisees were teaching that Israel was a kingdom of priests. Priests would wash their hands, wash before they would go into the temple. So Israel, their homes were like little temples. They needed to wash before they go in. They just make this up from nowhere. It comes out of interpretation of Exodus 9, 19, 5 through 6, an application of this. God speaking to Israel after freeing them from slavery at Mount Sinai. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, a go-between between God and the world, representing God to the world and bringing up the prayers and petitions of the world to God. They're holy, they're separate, They're distinct, so to emphasize that the outside world was dirty and nasty and full of lost people, the Pharisees are like, you got to wash the Gentiles out out of your hand and your hair, right? Wash, 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 wash before you come into your little temple, because out there is unclean, in here is clean. We are holy, they are not holy. They had these symbols, these traditions to try to reinforce, we are a kingdom of priests, we're a holy nation, they're not. And that's what's going on. But ceremonially, washings were only part of the strict traditions. The traditions were actually distracting from the original purpose of the law. This fence, this adding and adding and adding onto the fence, it's like they're staring at the fence and arguing over the fence instead of the true intent of the law just creating a great burden on the people and weighing them down, and they're not actually understanding the Word of God. At home, we have invisible fencing for our sweet dog, Maggie, our 10-month-old golden retriever. So I want to keep her safe. The law of our house is stay in the yard, unless you're with us. Casey had the door open one day, and Maggie jumped up like, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. But if she was going to ride with Casey, it would be best, see that little box under her neck? It'd be best to remove that, to take that off, because that is connected with our invisible fencing around the yard. So for her to leave, that needs to come off Well, one day, she and her older, bad-influenced sister, Lucy, uh, were not wearing their collars, and I know it had to be Lucy who did it. Lucy saw a rabbit, and when Lucy saw a rabbit, not feeling that collar under her neck, didn't have that reminder about the law that we had set, she took off in the woods. She led Maggie astray for two hours. They're roaming around the three acres of woods that back up to our house, uh, sniffing who knows what, eating God forbid what, uh, coming in contact with maybe some filthy, nasty animals like a skunk, which has happened before. So for two hours, we're terrified of what might happen, and then they come home, thankfully not having been sprayed by a skunk. So what I did after they were wearing the collars again, I turned the dial up a little bit. I made that fence even bigger and wider. Beep, 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 before that gentle reminder, like, don't break the law or you'll get hurt 
with that? Well, the religious leaders were like me with my dogs. They thought the word of God was a little too vague. They're trying to be helpful by having this fence, increasing the boundary, increasing the barriers so people would not break the word of God. But yet Jesus kicked many of these fences down. Jesus touched a leper. He ate in table fellowship with sinners, with tax collectors. He did not have his disciples fasting. He let his disciples gather grain on the Sabbath and eat it. Oh, they worked on the Sabbath. In chapter 6, he's touched by a menstruating woman. In chapter 6, he is in the presence of a dead little girl, but supposed unclean becomes clean in the presence of Jesus. There's a great reversal that's taking place here. How did Jesus respond to them? He called them hypocrites. And then he pointed to one of their practice as how their fence was actually rejecting God's law. He points to Corbin. Corbin would be like, if we were doing it today, it'd be like a son in his will saying, at my time of death, 100% of everything I have left over goes to charity. In Jesus' day, if they would do that, pledge it to the temple, then the parents who were really dependent upon their child for their retirement years, the son could say, sorry, can't help dad. It's been pledged to the temple. That's ridiculous, right? The son by the religious leaders are saying, well, but he swore to God, so that trumps the fifth commandment. And Jesus is like, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, guys. And then he actually declares what really pollutes a person. It's not the outside world. It's this inner world. Let's jump into verse 14 as Jesus is going to continue teaching. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd, he entered the house and his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked them, because they didn't get it. Don't you see? That nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it goes into the heart. Does it, because it goes not into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's huge for the Gentiles in Rome. And he went on, Jesus went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. It's like the mind and the heart are connected to the will. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What pollutes a person is not the outer world, it's the inner world of the heart. That's what pollutes a person. Uh, no fence or tradition is going to protect a person from this inward pollution of their heart. Jesus saying that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile them. Does that mean that Jesus is saying it's okay to do illegal drugs? It's okay to drink until you're drunk, just to eat, just to eat, eat, eat as much as you want? Is it okay to take in with lust, just staring at someone? Is it okay to listen to as much gossip as possible? No, 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 no. He's about the where it originates from. What originates those uh, practices like that, it comes from the interior of the heart. The heart is where sin originates. That's where that desire and then the action or the inaction takes place. What confuses the disciples here, takes them into private, he acts explain to them about this. First part's about food. Raise your hand if you like bacon. All right, raise your hand if you like shrimp. Raise your hand if you like bacon-wrapped shrimp. Like, okay, honestly, you can, you can thank Jesus for that. Say, thank you, Jesus, 
for bacon wrapped shrimp. And this would be huge for the church of Rome that Mark is writing to because they're sitting here like, oh no, I, I really like Jesus, but does that mean I can't have my dad's grilled pork tenderloin or my mom's special breakfast casserole at that special holiday time of year? And Jesus is saying, you can have it. You can have it. All foods are clean. Good food can lead to church growth. Amen? Good food can lead to church growth. We experienced some of that right here a couple of Sundays ago. I hope to experience more of that outside in the future. Jesus fulfilled these cleansing rituals, all, and the book of Acts is full of it. All of it is pointing to Jesus. Jesus has a superior interior purification of the heart that he allows for, that he does. And the second part focuses on the heart, where really this pollution, this defilement comes from, because the heart is the center of a person's will. Our actions are inactions. They flow out of this heart. The heart d- determines that. Therefore, this is where uncleanness or pollution comes from. He lists 12 sins, and at the head of this is evil thoughts or depraved thinking. That's at that head because this is what produces the following 12 sins. It's the mind and the heart connection with that. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness and that has some fill in the blanks here to focus on these just real briefly envy envy angry about the good or joy another person experiences to be angry about that uh slander directed towards a person to injure his or her reputation attacking someone's reputation that slander about that arrogance or pride to be superior and others are beneath you you're like god you're like a god so therefore being like a god If someone slanders you, hurts your reputation online, you're going to be angry. You're going to lash out at that. Or you might be envious that you've seen yet again they're taking another vacation. you got to be kidding me. They're in Europe. My brother's going to Europe. I can't afford that. And you're angry about that with this envy. And it can all come out of folly. This is a spiritually insensitive person who doesn't know God or maybe not wants to know God. We can all tend to have folly when we start thinking of the spirit of this age instead of thinking with the mindset of the Holy Spirit and of God's word. We all have a tendency to do that. Jesus is like, okay, religious leaders, you think the outside world is what makes you unclean. I'll tell you what, it's about your heart. You seriously think to be a priest or a holy nation is about avoiding pork? How about you avoid this stuff that's coming out of your hearts all the time? You're trusting in the fence. You're not actually trusting in God and walking with God. So what is to be done? Jesus says, out of the heart comes all these evil things. And this is because Jeremiah, the prophet, says, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above, I'm sorry, and Jesus, Jesus does not, you see, lower the requirement. He raises the requirement of being clean. He doesn't lower it. He raises it. It's not about just abstaining things or washing of things. It's like, clean up your heart. Clean up your heart. This is so important because Jeremiah talks about the heart. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Be very careful of your heart. I know Disney movies, I know a lot of pop songs are like about being happy, following your dreams, following your heart's desire. Your heart will lead you astray. If it feels good, it must be right, okay? The heart is deceitful above all things. Don't trust the sole source of your wisdom being your heart. Your heart will lead you astray again and again and again and again. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Speaking of needing a cure, we could all use a cure today. I've been talking for a while and I'm a little bit thirsty right now. It's really important this day and age and I've shaken some hands. I don't know what y'all got. 
I don't know what you got on your hand. Are people breathing on me? People are singing behind me. Maybe they coughed on me or something. So I want to make sure I get some vitamin C in me today. Uh, vitamin C is really, really important because vitamin C strengthens your immune system. It can repair uh, body tissues, and it prevents scurvy. I don't want scurvy, so I don't want just like orange juice. I'm going to make a fresh citrus vitamin C drink. So this is so simple. This is audience participation. When you squeeze an orange, what do you get? Orange juice. There we go. There's some orange juice, okay? I'm making my nice, refreshing. I've actually got some stevia in here. I have some sweetener in that water. If you squeeze a lemon, you get? Did someone say lemonade? It's lemon juice, okay? You got, I wish lemonade would come pouring out of this, you know, sugar and all that. That'd be amazing. Maybe someone can make that. If you squeeze a lime, you get what? Lime juice. We are on a roll. The lime doesn't have as much in it. There we go. And then the last one. We're going to make sure that we get uh, plenty of juice here. If you squeeze a grapefruit, you get, you get grapefruit juice if you squeeze a uh, grapefruit. You see it? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not shopping there anymore. Um, yeah. You see, when you squeeze something, what was on the inside is what comes out. When you squeeze something, the inside is what comes out. So don't be surprised sometimes when all of a sudden your heart is squeezed by the pressures of life, what might just come out of that. You're stuck in traffic. You're going to be late. First day on the job. Somebody late at night, you were just having this like little conversation or posting something online about the political hot button topic of the day and someone slanders you, attacks your character. Are you going to sit there and take that or that pressure and you're just going and you're attacking back, baby, right after that at that moment. Uh, you have a coworker who for quite some time now has been talking about that his or her spouse is going to be out of town on this long trip. And then that so coworker who's been joking with you for quite some time is like, hey, you know, the spouse is gone. They're like, hey, let's go get some drinks after work. Pressures. It could even be a good thing. Like, you just want to celebrate and go have some fun. How are you going to do that when that excitement squeezes your heart? Be very careful what may just come out of your heart at any moment with that. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So, therefore, we all need a new heart. We all need a new spirit. And thankfully, God promised this through the prophet Ezekiel. God has this to say, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Only God does this. We don't do it. We can't do it. I will remove from your heart of stone. God takes that rebellious, hard-heartedness heart and removes it and gives us a heart of flesh, a moldable, teachable heart, a new heart. And I, this is amazing, the high and holy and lifted up God, owner and creator, sustainer of all things, says, I will put my spirit in you. You will literally be my temple. I will put my spirit in you and move you. Only God can do this. I will help you do this. I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Because truly, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We tend to go off on all kinds of other paths. The Spirit of God and this new heart, God leads us on these paths of righteousness to make him known, his Spirit that is within us. And how does God do this? God gives you a new heart and spirit through Jesus. 
It's through Jesus and only Jesus that we get this new heart and this new spirit. Jesus is the only source of your cleansing. Jesus is the only way to receive the spirit of God. And he does this through an incredibly glorious exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus never had an experiential knowledge of knowing of sin. He was always in a right relationship with his father, always in a right relationship with others. He was righteous. But because of God's love for you, he made Jesus to be sin who never sinned. So when you trust in Jesus, what goes on Jesus is your past, absolutely your present, and even your future evil thoughts. It goes on Jesus, and it's paid for by his death. The sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, on and on and on. Every evil thought, every evil deed, every evil inclination goes on Jesus, and he dies the death you deserve to die. You put that junk on Jesus, that rottenness on Jesus, and what does he give to you? What does he give to you so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You receive Jesus' righteousness, clothed in his righteousness. You are hidden in Christ. When the Father sees you, he sees righteousness. Jesus, he sees you as a child. Well done, good and faithful servant is declared upon you at the start line and at the finish. That's what you live through. That's what you walk out of, all because of Jesus and the heart and the spirit in that now for verses 24 through 27, when this desperate mother is referred to, it seems like, to Jesus as a, a dog. In this section, Jesus is going to travel far north into a Gentile area. He's trying to get away with the disciples to teach them, but the crowds are not going to allow for it. And what we learn is incredible, that the salvation for the Gentiles is near. And we learn a lot from a very wise mother. Verses 24 through 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek. Born in Syrian Phoenicia, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Jesus is weary from his teaching, from his traveling. He's actually been trying quite some time to get away from his disciples, but the crowd's not allowing for it. He travels to this good distance up north, trying to get away, and perhaps he and his disciples are just getting ready to eat a meal when in all of a sudden, barging past the host of the home and going into the interior room is, room is a strangely dressed woman. And she's asking, you know, who's Jesus? Where's Jesus? The disciples looking at their master gives them all the information, the answer that she's looking for. And she falls at Jesus' feet, weeping and crying and begging for Jesus to cast the demon out of her little girl. 
her little girl. The last person to fall at Jesus' feet about a young daughter was the ruler of a synagogue. Now a Gentile mother does the same thing. And Jesus says to her what seems strange to us, first let the children eat all they want. It's a little parable. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. The children are the Jewish people, especially disciples at the table. The bread is the word of God. The Gentiles are near. They're nearby. They're present. It's just not the right timing. Jesus is saying his mission is to the Jews or God's people fulfilling the promise of Abraham first. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, we have a promise to Abraham. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham was going to offer his only son in a sacrifice, and God stopped him. And then is promising that God would offer himself the, the only needed sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Isaiah talks about this for Israel and for the servant of God or the Messiah. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob? And bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's like the Messiah has got to go and reclaim and restore the lost tribes, the lost ones, the true spiritual Israel. Who are not the Pharisees, but it's those who are desperate for the Messiah and to know of God and are willing to repent and believe and trust. And it says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel had hidden the light put it behind walls, and they had failed, but God does not fail. He sent the light of the world, Jesus, and Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham, the light's going to go forth through true spiritual Israel to the ends of the earth, and the Gentiles are invited to the table. Jesus is saying it's just not the right timing. In fact, the word for dog he uses here, it's not of a dog who eats trash and has no home. It's of a household pet. Last night, Maggie and Lucy were right at our table when we were having a meal begging they're right there and it's not just about the crumbs that fall sometimes of course they're there because we feed them from the table and they're around I was throwing popcorn to them and they were catching popcorn last night during our family movie they're around whenever we eat Jesus is testing the mother's faith with this little parable she he wants to find out is she believing in magic or trusting in him as the messiah and she passes the test because she's just trusting in Jesus she's trusting in Jesus and the promises of God Lord she says even the dogs under the table have the children get the children's crumbs she's like I don't want the loaf I'm not asking to like let me up in the table just to crumb for you just one little word from you O Lord God will heal will restore will save my daughter that's all I ask and that is faith and it's a that that the part of the miracle is the demon is cast away from her daughter although the daughter's far away but the other miracle is this this Gentile mother is the first person in the gospel of Mark to understand a parable of Jesus His 12, Peter, James, and John, again and again and again are hard-headed, slow of hearing. He's having to explain again and again and again what this parable means. They're like, seeds, Lord? Are we going to be farmers? Bread? Oh, no, we forgot to bring bread. Are we supposed to only eat unleavened bread from now on? And he's having to explain again and again and again. But this mother just gets it. It's kind of like if you're playing fetch with your dog, and you throw that ball, and you're like, fetch, ball, Fetch the ball. And your dog's like, finger. Sniff the finger. I lick your finger. And you're like, no. And you're like, ball, ball. That's what Jesus is having to do for his dog-headed disciples. 
But Jesus is having explained it again and again. But the Gentile mother gets it. It's this great reversal. The supposed unclean outsider proves to be much more clean and much more ready and welcome at the table than those who are near. Be careful. Never prejudge a person's receptivity or spiritual understanding. Don't judge someone's heart like, oh, they must have a heart of granite or that must be fertile soil. You'll be surprised again and again and again if you are talking to a longtime church partner and just assuming something about them and never having a spiritual conversation. Then when you finally do, you're like, whoa, I don't know if he knows who Jesus is or man, she needs some help growing in her faith. I had lunch a while back with one of my top five people I've been praying for. And my lunch, I really wanted to have a spiritual conversation with my loved, this, this guy I love very dearly, and I want him to have what I have. And I couldn't really get the conversation to turn spiritually. And then all of a sudden, he just did it. And it was just like, boom, he started just asking me about God and the state of the world and about spiritual things. And although I knew he was an agnostic, he proved to have some really great spiritual questions and was really open and willing to have a great healthy discussion he's not trusting in Jesus yet but there's a continuing conversation for that and I appreciate right before that lunch Pastor Joel knew where I was going he's like let's pray let's pray Patrick and we gathered up in the hallway with Pastor Nick and he prayed God answered that prayer sow the seed never trust your judgment of a person's heart sow the seed of the gospel wastefully recklessly just cast it out there by love, by mercy, by your life, by the testimony, by God's great work in you. Sow the seeds of the gospel. Trust the seed. Don't trust your judgment because it will fail you every time. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You see, desperation can drive one to faith. She is desperate. She just wants a crumb from Jesus. And God thankfully hears the prayers of the desperate. God hears the prayers of the desperate. Praying for your lost child, your grandchild, your close friend, and you've been praying not just for like a week, but for decades. Decades, because you want your loved one to have what you have, and you never want to take for granted a loving, right relationship with God and the presence of the Spirit to help you weather the storms that you go through. You want your loved one to have that as well, to have a spiritual understanding, because only Jesus can save. You can't save. Continue in that desperation. Continue crying out, praying for those crumbs, and pray to the Lord God for long-suffering and, and for patience in moments like that, but trust the seed. Don't trust in self. Now for this closing episode, it just sums it up really nicely and speaks volumes to us today, the church, when Jesus heals this, this deaf and mute man. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took the man aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit touched the man's tongue. Then he looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said, Ephetha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did it, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
Jesus takes the man to the side to make a connection with him, to explain to him, because he can't hear what he is going to be healing. And, and what supposedly is unclean, the man's tongue, yet again a reversal, the, it becomes clean. The clean makes the unclean clean. And Jesus touches his ears and says, be opened, and they're opened. And then it's surprising. What does Jesus tell the crowd to do? He's like, be quiet. D- don't, don't tell people what I just did. Please, stop it. Stop talking about this amazement, this wonder. Stop talking about it. Why? I mean, this is surprising. In this day and age where we want likes and retweets and we want followers, it's like Jesus needed a good PR disciple, right? And he's spread this, baby. You are a miracle-working wonder. Spread it far and wide. And Jesus is like, be quiet. Be quiet. Please don't do that. He's commanding them to silence because they have an incomplete testimony. They don't know who he is. He has to live die and rise again for the complete testimony the crowd is actually you see the crowd are the deaf ones and they have the speech impediments spiritual deafness results in spiritual impairment spiritual deafness results in spiritual impairment. the crowd do not actually hear the word of god they don't even know who jesus is yet it does not stop them from spreading an incomplete half truth fake gospel they want the political savior They want the wonder worker. They want the best life now. That is what they're spreading. It's an incomplete false gospel. To actually spread the good news of Jesus, they have to wait for the complete revelation. Jesus looked up to heaven and sighed and said, Be opened! Mark includes this not just because of the the deaf and the spearing impaired man whose tongue was loosened and the chains were broken. You see, the crowds are deaf. They speak unclearly. They are deaf to the word of God speaking through Jesus, and their tongues are actually chained by their sin, by their uncleanness, by their misunderstanding of who the Messiah is. You have the best, brilliant religious scholars who've memorized tons of scripture. They are chained by the traditions of the elders handed down, and they have an incomplete, false gospel. And the disciples who are near and dear they have to hear it again and again and again from Jesus. They are very slow to hearing and understanding. But the surprise is, this Gentile mother, she came and she wanted, she was not, she comes, she hears, she understands. There's healing. There's the man who is touched by Jesus. He's healed. He begins to speak clearly. The supposed far away are actually near. And what does it mean to hear and understand Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, near or far, uh, wise or simple? Only the touch and words of Jesus can bring true hearing. Only Jesus can bring true hearing, thus understanding and thus a true witness. We have to hear Jesus, to know Jesus, to understand the gospel, and then to be of this true witness. There's a world full of people in chains and bondage. They're spiritually deaf, but it doesn't stop them from speaking with spiritual impairments. Half-truths, distorted truths, misunderstanding, misled, gone astray. People are spiritually deaf, but they still continue to spread a fake gospel news. Any incomplete gospel is a false gospel, and it comes from a deceitful heart, and it comes from depraved thinking. And our mission this morning and every day as we go out is to continue to do what Jesus did. For the Son of Man came to seek, to save the lost that's what we're invited in to do. Are our ears open to this word? Is our ears open to chapter 7? Are our ears open to the gospel? If not, be opened. 
Be open in understanding what truly makes you unclean, but more importantly, what cleanses you each and every day. It's the Spirit of God within you when you're trusting in Jesus and the gospel. Be open to not prejudging the spiritual receptivity of anybody, but just wastefully spread the gospel. And be open to proclaim the gospel in words and deeds as you go. Let us continue to be opened. Let us pray. Lord God, let this word just be true about us as Paul, the great apostle to really us, the Gentiles. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us never be ashamed of the good news, Lord, that Jesus lived for us and died for us and rose for us, that it's only through Jesus that we have a new heart, that we have your spirit. We literally can have you, the high and holy lifted up God, residing in us, in our hearts, and recreating us, O Lord God. Let us never be ashamed of it, because the power of God brings salvation to everyone, everyone who trusts in Jesus, who cries out, who just gets that crumb. I don't have a complete understanding, Lord. And maybe someone is here is like, I don't have it all figured out. I don't exactly understand it, but I just know, I want to know more about Jesus. Help me, Lord. I don't want to trust in myself or anything else anymore. I want to trust in Jesus and learn from Jesus and walk with Jesus. W- would you help me, Lord? Save me, Lord. And that's all it takes. That little crumb, that little crumb, great things can happen. And we know, Lord, that if anyone is in Christ, new creation, baby, has come. New creation. You're recreating. Your good works has come. The old is gone. Help us not focus on the old, which the enemy, which our old self tends to do. Help us continue to focus on the new that is present, your recreative work within this incredible body, this incredible people of God, O Lord God, this kingdom of priests, this holy nation, to make your excellencies, your glory be known, O Lord God. Continue to send us, continue to use us, continue to mold us for your kingdom-building activity. It's in Jesus of Nazareth, the only Christ's name that we pray and who we trust in. Amen. Thank you for checking out our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this sermon, make sure to share it with loved ones and subscribe so you can tune in each time we release a new sermon. Don't forget to check out our other awesome content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, go ahead and download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We'll see you next time.